You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode five of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and more. Today we'll be talking about Pebble's attempt on taking on the Apple Watch with its new model on Kickstarter. Google acquires SoftCard to compete with Apple Pay. Some new Apple patents were awarded that outlines possible collaboration over FaceTime and more. We have with us this week Apple Insider Senior Editor Mikey Campbell. Thanks for joining us bright and early, Mikey. Thanks. <laughs> He's, Mikey's got a great podcast voice uh, this morning. And we also have contributing editor, again, Victor Marks with us. Hey, Victor, thanks for being here. Thanks. What broke today, Apple sent out invitations for its March 9th media event titled Spring Forward. This is most likely going to be the big unveiling of the Apple Watch as far as models, pricing, availability, and all that. Hopefully we'll see some other products as well, but we don't have too many details on it. I thought the spring forward was... It could, do you guys think it could be a watch, like a nod to being like a spring and a watch? Or am I reading too much into that? I, I, think, it's a, uh, I think it's a nod to um, just timekeeping in general. So okay. you know how you set your watch forward. True. And daylight savings time. I think it's marking it's it's marking the event that iOS is finally going to handle the time change correctly. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> that's what I was thinking. But <laughs> pipe dream, my friend. My my mind's done it pretty well the past couple of years. But yeah, so I, I mean obviously it's gonna be the Apple Watch. I we tweeted out asking what other people are hoping to see. And you know, there were rumors that a MacBook Air refresh might be coming. So there's a possibility of that or Maybe an Apple TV re- refresh, but that's me being hopeful. Now, now, are you you guys are still sticking with the different size watches are going to be the same price, huh? We we said, as I recall, less than a hundred dollars differential. Okay, right, right, right. Mikey, you're still sticking to that too. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'd probably think around fifty. Okay. A good um. I don't know though. Yeah. I think I think that's what's going to happen. Now, let me ask: Are either of you guys going to order this thing when it, you know, for for yourself personally when it comes out when it's available? Um, depends. I mean, I'd have to uh, I'd have to check it out first. I don't wear a watch or a, I don't wear a smartwatch daily, right. so um, it'd have to be fairly uh, fairly amazing for me to slap that thing on my wrist and. Um, mm-hmm walk around with it i'm hoping the event is going to have a lot of demonstrations of app partners and just things that developers have done the past several months that they can really show off in the event to really show people why they would want it i i think what you're going to see is a demonstration of apple pay and apple pay via the watch and you're going to see that in conjunction with a a reveal on what I'm, I'm going with as Apple Store, Apple Retail 4.0. Hmm. Changing the stores. They're going to refashion the whole stores around this thing, and they're going to also have retail partners that are going to be ready and acknowledge and understand what to do with Apple Watch. So it'll really be about the commerce side of it. Hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see Apple Pay being shown off. I mean, I imagine there's got to be some kind of, whether it's American Airlines or some representative from a third party showing off something. You know, something like that. And, and maybe also showing us... Well, it was JetBlue that went to Apple Pay only at their counters. Okay. Well, there you go. I also imagine that Apple's going to show off more of its first-party apps and services. 
maybe kind of going more in depth on how it's going to work with the phone and show us the companion app that we featured on the site a while ago. Yeah. I mean, um, it'll probably follow the similar format to say an iPhone launch or something. And maybe they'll bring up a couple of key, um, you know, devs or maybe, maybe a dev that's not so well known and has something really awesome to show off. Um, yeah. but I don't know, it, it's uh, interesting that you, it could be um, folks from fashion or at least have some sort of uh, fashion element to it because, you know, they've never, they've never done a uh, fashion product before. Or, so maybe they'll take advantage of that this time. Well, that's pretty much what we know for now. March 9th, it's going to be happening. It will be streamed live to both Apple TV and Apple's website in Safari. So you can watch it there. And of course, we'll be covering it live. You can watch for tweets and live blogs and all that. The other big news for today was the FCC voted 3-2 to two to enforce net neutrality by regulating ISPs and also unleashing municipal broadband restrictions. As uh, like in Tennessee, there were some um, cable companies that were restricting some broadband access. So, so uh, this has been in the news a long time. And we talked about it on the site, and there's a feature why net neutrality uh, is important. So this was a big step. There were many reactions. Uh, many of the negative reactions were, of course, from cable companies like Verizon, AT&T, and some of the wireless providers. Shocking. Yes, exactly. Well, Ver- Verizon responded in, in a uh, sort of childish manner. They, they responded with Morse code, and they responded with a, uh, a release that appeared to have been typed on a vintage typewriter. Um, right. they're, they're indicating that, you know, the, the regulation that's being used here is, uh, from 1934 and that they're, they're mocking that a little bit. AT&T at least responded like adults. Right. But, uh, it's, it's hard to feel, you know, some, some of the negative criticism is valid. You know, this is the same organization that in a couple of months is going to rubber stamp an approval merger between Time Warner and Comcast. So right. this is the same organization that took 12 years to rule on Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> but no, these aren't exactly, these aren't the same people, though. It's the same organization, but... No, no, they're certainly not the same people, but there's, there's a decent amount of reason to be somewhat skeptical. Uh, there, there's certainly reason to be concerned. Yes, the, the FCC is now basically overruling state legislation that regulated and forbid municipal Wi-Fi. Uh, both in Tennessee, like you said, and in North Carolina. I think the comment that uh, was really interesting was the one from the uh, from the EFF. And and if you've got a second, I'd like to, to read that if I can. It's pretty brief. Yep, sure, go ahead. The EFF said, for many months, EFF has been working with a broad coalition of advocates to persuade the Federal Communications Commission to adopt new open internet rules that would survive legal scrutiny and actually help protect the open internet. Our message has been clear that the FCC has a role to play, but its role must be firmly bounded. Two weeks ago, we learned that we'd likely manage the first goal. The FCC is going to do the right thing and reclassify broadband as a telecom service, giving it the ability to make new, meaningful open internet rules. But we are deeply concerned that the FCC's new rules will include a provision that sounds like a recipe for overreach and confusion, the so-called general conduct rule. So they went forward on, on helping make sure that government had the power to do this thing, but didn't really think ahead about the whole how to bound it, how to fence it in. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were, they were thinking ahead. I mean, you have to, um, you have to, you know, well, 
Progress, uh, you know, makes strange bedfellows, and um, with the FCC, there's, you know, really not much getting around uh, general, like, sweeping oversight. So it's, it's a good thing, I think, at least for now. We'll see what the FCC does with its um, escape clause. <laughs> The the, uh, the general, so the, the uh, good things are are no paying for fast lanes and no no extortionism from ISPs to both their consumers and the uh, service providers like Netflix and those to use the service. The downside for me is that once you've written regulation, it's hard for regulation to adapt or even allow new things that we don't even envision right now. You know, when, well, when regulation course. says you must provide X, trying to do something different than X is no longer compliant. So you've, you've effectively clamped down on innovation. Yeah, but I mean, looking at cable companies and Internet service providers, I mean, they haven't really done much different recently in areas of technology and innovation. So I don't see. Well, yes and no. I mean, we didn't need this for Google to start introducing fiber around. It's it's not been a roadblock to that beginning movement. Now, certainly they welcome it because it, it says, hey, we've got open competition and, and that's a wonderful thing. But it, it wasn't required for Google to make that move. Yeah, but then again, that benefits very few people, very few cities yet, in America. Yet. Yet, for the, at least for the foreseeable. And, and truly, well, anything that that's innovative, anything that's innovative is going to, by its nature, affect very few people initially. That's just the nature of rollouts. You start small and then you increase it when it works. Okay, but I, I, I mean, anybody could buy an iPhone when it came out. Yeah, this is this is creating infrastructure that's not there, which is you know, I mean, you're replacing all this all this cable and you know um, with with fiber. It's not a easy undertaking. It's it's not like you're just hopping on. Networks that have been around for you know decades. You're you're building something from scratch. So yeah, I don't I don't foresee Google Fiber really making a huge impact on the lives of people in Poughkeepsie anytime soon. Well, that depends if Poughkeepsie has dark fiber there and how willing the uh, the locals are for allowing right of way. Again, we're talking you know when you're talking about things like dark fiber and Google Fiber, you're talking about major metropolitan areas. Where there's large populations. You're, you're really not. Well, where most places um, in Florida. You'd be surprised. Now, it's not rural. It's not rural, but right. there's more fiber out there than you know. Well, there's not any by my house. <laughs> and for a lot <laughs> you, of people. You say that, you may be wrong. I'm 100% sure that it's not in my neighborhood. <laughs> you may be wrong. It's It'll surprise you, but uh, Time Warner and Comcast and Sprint all have put huge amounts of fiber around and they're using it for their business customers they're using it for themselves but it's there none of those service providers are in my neighborhood either <laughs> it's just so you know uh, I, I know there's stuff out there but it's not um, it's not uh, amount so not currently available to you for use yet well i mean it's definitely not here for um for end users um yeah. that i can go I mean, I've checked out uh, enterprise plans with um, Time Warner, and you know they use their their hybrid version where it goes, you know, mm -hmm. fiber to the uh, to the node, and then from there um, it goes out on regular 
uh, copper. Um, So, I mean, it's getting there, but eh, they've had that service for quite some time. Of course, they could be dragging their feet because they're kind of the the big player in in my market, but it would be great if they could just give me... Hurry up already. Yeah. And Victor, I, I mean, I appreciate your your optimism. And yes, it'd be great if Google Fiber was available everywhere and anyone could get it. But for many of us, myself included, where there is only one consumer option, um, it's a positive thing. So, granted, if if there was competition everywhere and there was fiber accessible in ninety nine percent or ninety percent of the country, then maybe these kind of regulations wouldn't be needed. But in a place, but these regulations weren't needed to introduce competition. No, not at all. And I and I agree with you there. But there's a lot of places where there is no competition. Yes, and especially situations where Comcast also owns NBC, where they own the content creation and the content delivery system. I would be skeptical on what they would do to abuse that in the future. So mm. situations like that, I'm glad there is things like net neutrality where they can help not break the monopoly. Uh, so Tuesday, February 24th, it would have been Steve Jobs' 60th birthday. I just wanted to mention that. And Apple CEO Tim Cook was in Germany. He was visiting with a publication over there and also visited a Germany Apple store. And while he was there, he tweeted out remembering Steve Jobs and of course, tweeted out one of the well-known quotes from Jobs. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. And uh, I haven't done it in a little bit, but I um, every once in a while we will go back and watch um, part of a Steve Jobs keynote. You know, there's the famous, obviously, iPhone unveiling and some of his other keynotes were particularly notable, but would have loved to have seen one live. Did either of you ever have that opportunity? I did not, Victor. I did. You did? Which um, yeah. Which keynote? Uh, I was in New York for Macworld 2001, and it was the great reveal of Flower Power iMac, Dalmatian iMac, and the Quicksilver Power Mac. I'm sure that that must have been a just a frenetic event, being in the iPhone event. Just amazing. I mean, and Tim Cook and Craig Federighi, they're all doing amazing jobs, you know, doing the keynote ongoing. But there was definitely something unique about Jobs' way of communicating a product. So just wanted to mention that we have smartwatch, all a bunch of smartwatch news, newses. It's not a word. The new Pebble watch, Pebble, you know, if you don't know, they had their smartwatch e-ink display. It was originally a Kickstarter and was fully funded and you can get those in stores right now. Well, they're coming out with a new model, again, hoping to kind of preempt the Apple Watch, get it out there uh, before April. The new Pebble Watch is going to feature a color screen, voice input, and supposedly seven days of battery life because of the uh, e-ink screen. They put it on Kickstarter seeking $500,000 uh, to complete for pledges, and uh, they have almost $9 million just a day later as we record. So pretty impressive. I don't know... You know, I don't really know anyone personally who owns a Pebble Watch. Do either of you? Yes. We both do. You both yeah. own it. You both own it. <laughs> how, how often slash useful do you find it? I'll take the side. And there you have your <laughs> answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't put it on for months. 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 So, 
That was yeah. a that was a deafening silence, as I would say. So yeah, I want to stop you right there, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, you, you keep calling this an e-ink display, and I'm I'm positive they're probably referring it to it this way also. But there's a distinction to be made. The original display was not e-ink; it was e-paper. Okay. And I think this may also be e-paper and not e-ink. Um, it is. Yeah, this was. Isn't this the Qualcomm display from Talk? Uh, it looks like it is, but they haven't said exactly. Um, they they haven't really specifics on it. So okay, so e e paper. It's it's an important distinction because e ink is the display that you see in Kindles and uh, used to see in Barnes and Noble Nooks, where it has that that refresh rate to it, where they have to wipe the whole screen with a huge flash and then redraw it, and you can't do animation with that well. And this does not yeah. do that. So the, the e-paper display does not do that full screen refresh. E-paper is essentially a, a really good readable display in sunlight. Take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a low power display, but it's not low power in the same way that e-ink is actually low power. Yeah, when, when it e-ink isn't. isn't actively drawing the screen, it doesn't use any power at all. Yeah, it just sets itself. Um, yeah, the, the new, well, it's off topic, but the, the new uh, e-ink um, displays are fairly good at uh, keeping uh, image retention down. Right. I do I have a Kindle Paperwhite. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that does pretty good. It doesn't have to refresh so often that it's annoying. Um, with the new Pebble Watch, I mean, uh, voice input is kind of uh, interesting. Obviously, color screen is uh, kind of needed now with all the other smartwatches. Not sure how much success it's going to see, personally. I mean... How do you guys do? You guys feel the new features are going to do anything for for sales? Well, I mean, it clearly they already, have nine million. Already, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. They, they, I, go ahead. They've cleared nine. They've they've cleared nine million. So I mean, they've got those faithfuls, yeah, diehard fans. I think. Right. So, right. Um, I don't think not not enough to make a significant dent in a smartphone or in a smartwatch market share sense. Although there's not really a market share to be had until we'll see what the Apple well, Watch does. Well, you, you say that, but you have to remember that they were in Best Buy, they were in Target, yeah. Samsung was selling in Best Buy. You know, there is a retail presence for these kind of things. And let, let me put it in let me put it in perspective real quick because we had an article go up. Uh, 68 million smartwatches were sold in 2014 as a whole. Um, as far as market share, Samsung's gear smartwatch uh, had 1.2 million ship in 2014 so that had the biggest percentage of market share the pebble was second most popular and they had 700,000 devices ship in 2014 so not they didn't even hit a million uh, last year and they've been out a while uh, for quite a while I think I uh, I might argue that the um, <laughs> the Samsung shipments might not equal uh, 700,000 sales. They could be they right. could be collecting dust on the shelves right now. They take it all actually, back. <laughs> yeah, they've uh, they've buried it in a uh, deep <laughs> hole in the Mojave Desert. So anyway, so it is funded. We will see the uh, the new Pebble watch come out, and uh, we'll see it. It is called the Pebble Time model. Will be the new model. So we'll see when that comes out. Google to buy SoftCard. Google is again trying to make a push to compete against Apple Pay. By buying SoftCard and incorporating the technology into Google Wallet. And they've also announced that Google Wallet will be pre-installed on all Android phones, 4.4, KitKat, and above. 
for AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon Wireless. So we're going to have Google Wallet installed as stock on Android phones, plus some of the uh, technology from SoftCard. We're hoping to get a little push in mobile payments. I will say, as a side note, um, and again, I'll put all of these links in show notes and you can read about the SoftCard technology and the acquisition, but uh, the way SoftCard and NFC works, the credit card data is still stored on a user's SIM card, which is very different than how Apple Pay works as far as security. So just keep that in mind. Oh, the last thing I just want to say, in the same vein, Chase announced that over 1 million debit and credit cards have been registered for use with Apple Pay. So I know Google's trying to get in the game, but there's still definitely a lot of, um, there's some momentum, we'll say, still going for Apple Pay. And uh, we'll chase his announcement. So go ahead, Victor. What are you say? Well, so Google Wallet used to be uh, a fantastic solution in that the cards were right there and you'd tap on a card and choose which one to pay with and it would work. And the cell phone carriers, I believe, caused them to cripple it and, and turn it into the thing that it is today or, or was yesterday where it's um, you have a balance and you load your balance and then pay from your balance kind of thing. Um, the cell phone carriers had bought in and tried to make their own payment apps and I think they were also using SoftCard. They were certainly selling it when it was branded as ISIS in their stores. And so this is sort of like the cell phone carriers admitting defeat, giving up, and Google buying in the solution that was already being sold in stores so that they're able to get back in those places. Yeah, I still feel like Google Wallet needs um, a Touch ID-esque way of paying because I have a, a Nexus tablet, Nexus 7, has Google Wallet NFC, so I can pay with it. But to use Google Wallet, you still have to unlock the device, open the Google Wallet app, enter your four-digit PIN for Google Wallet to unlock that, and then you can pay. So it's still a significant number of steps more than, say, Apple Pay, and then even, again, with the Apple Watch when that comes out. Yeah, I made a flowchart of, of the different paths between Google Wallet and Apple Pay. I'll share it with you, Stephen. We can post it for our readers. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah. The uh, the security aspect of it is very uh, is very dubious. Um, As in, I like personally, you, you mean it doesn't well, matter? Or? No, it, it it's questionable. It, it matters, uh, and they haven't done it right. <laughs> yeah, I, from what I hear, um, SoftCard is a lesser solution compared to Apple Pay. I mean, yeah. it, it started it it started out life. Um, as a uh, joint project, right from the uh, uh, by the um, U.S. carriers, what was it? AT and T was it also Verizon, I think. I think it was Verizon, yeah. AT and T, Timo, Verizon, and Sprint, probably, right? I don't Sprint know if Sprint was. No, yeah, I don't know if Sprint, Sprint was involved because yeah, Sprint's not going to. Their phones are not going to have wallet pre-installed. They're the only U.S. carrier, major U.S. carrier, not to not to go with Google on that. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I always question anything that uh, one carrier puts their hands on, let alone three of the largest in <laughs> the U.S. So, I mean, you know, there's uh, obviously going to be some um, built-in obstacles to uh, getting a, you know, a user-friendly, secure um, operating product. Yeah, and I still I still just think again Touch ID is just so uh, simple and there's a pretty low barrier to entry to set it up. I mean, to have to manually enter credit card info and also to have to unlock both a device and an app to do it, uh, you know, with an Android device. I'm still I just still don't see it picking up. Stephen, have you ever taken your Nexus 7 and your iPhone and you held your iPhone near your Nexus 7? 
Uh, never intentionally. There's a great trick you can do if you hold your iPhone just right over your Nexus 7 where the NFC in your Nexus 7 will trigger your phone, your iPhone. Really? To look like there's a Touch ID, there's a payment taking place. Really? Oh, yeah. Take your Nexus 7, take your iPhone, and, and, uh, you know, swipe your phone over the top of the Nexus 7 tablet, and you'll find the place where the NFC chips are, or the antennas are, Hmm. when it triggers a Touch ID payment on your phone. That's interesting. I'm still waiting. That's a great parlor trick. I think it would be a great, you know, I use a Square Cash, which is um, it's a free app, and you can basically send money to other people for with no transaction fee. Oh, poor Square. But, I mean, to have to be able to do an Apple Pay from phone to phone, um, I think would be a great feature. You know, I, I hope that's something that they implement. I don't know what you guys think about that, but it seems like it's just one step away. So Yeah, there were... No, go, go on, Mikey. Go ahead. No, there, there were rumors that that would be uh, implemented sometime soon. But I think they're still just, I don't know, they don't want to go you know, one step at a time. Right, um, right. Let's get this established, then we can do a user-to-user payment. Um, and then, uh, you know, we can uh, go and burn all the cash money I mean, <laughs> in America. The, the, the goal here is, what do you do to replace PayPal, right? PayPal is person-to-person payments. It's payments you, you give people over the internet for things that you buy, used like a stuff on forums. Uh, you know, if, if you do all those things, you eat PayPal, you've killed Square. Square missed the boat because Square had issued their new reader, and their new reader didn't have EMV for chip and pin. And at the same time, it had no solution for Apple Pay for NFC. If they had had an EMV reader ready to go, if they'd had NFC in their revised reader, all of the small businesses would be eating them up and they'd be made in the shade. I think Square has announced that they have both of those things coming in 2018. Yes, but, um, but late. So late. So late, but I mean, for a small business, what other great options do you have for a low-cost point-of-sale system? There are yeah. several. Okay, well, I mean, <laughs> but uh, I mean, Look. I find, I see Square around a lot. Look, so. are, <laughs> yes. Are, but still, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, next. Right, yeah. Well, no. I mean, the thing <laughs> you, you don't replace PayPal with a uh, with a locked in one platform um, payment solution. I mean that you that's just not going to happen. In a heartbeat with a one platform solution. Well, yeah. You, well, yeah. Yeah, you probably could because I mean that's pretty reliant on um, Apple anyway. I mean, the only time that I've seen um, businesses using it. Uh, granted, I do live in a uh, you know, very not. Luxurious. Well, I live in an area where stuff like that is not is not uh, adopted at at a high rate. But okay. I mean, they've all they've all used the um, uh, iPad uh, stand version. So I mean, they're relying a lot on Apple and Square. I mean, they, they, I, I have seen an Android tablet using a Square reader. Yeah, every once sad. in a while. Yeah. It was very sad. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the main reasons why Apple sold the iPad 2 for such a long time. Is because, you know, store, again, stores like that, if they have their point-of-sale system, and they didn't have Lightning for a long time, as far as the Square stand, you know, to be able to still support those yeah. uh, small business that was, that was not Apple's motivation. Apple's motivation was selling to education. That yeah. did not. Uh, yeah. You, you can't change the skew on education where they have to buy everything the same for three years. That's true. Yeah, a little bit. So anyway, we'll see what um, what kind of momentum Google can pick up 
with those implementations. Uh, the last bit I had on my list was an article that we had go up this week. Apple has a new patent, was uh, awarded a new patent, that outlines mobile app data sharing and collaboration over FaceTime, which basically means uh, two or more uh, mobile devices or users using mo- multiple devices can share and interact with the same app data in real time. And m- mostly what that really looks like is maybe a FaceTime call where you can screen share with another person. Uh, which would be great as far as providing support or helping your mom set up her email on the iPad, things like that. Um, So I was pretty excited about that. And then Neil Hughes, our managing editor, pointed out that iMessage in Yosemite actually has a screen sharing feature built in that's easily accessible, which I I did not know it was there. Apparently it was an old iChat feature. But uh, in Yosemite, it's implemented real simply. If you're iMessaging on your Mac and someone you're on the receiving end of your iMessages is also on a Mac. You can hit the uh, the details button in the uh, conversation in the top right of the window, and you have the the phone for FaceTime audio. You have the camera for FaceTime video, and you have the little screen share icon where you can actually request to see the other person's screen, or you can send your screen to the other person uh, right there over iMessage. Yeah. So I thought that was a, a great feature. I had no idea, and uh, I would actually love to see it come to iOS devices. Oh, it can't come soon enough to iOS. But the problem with the the Mac implementation, it's important we point out, it's Yosemite to Yosemite, iMessage to iMessage, and uh, it it otherwise works about the same as the old iChat feature did. The old iChat feature relied on having either an uh, a iTools or .me or AOL account, mm. or uh, in order to work, and that was beautiful because that could work with. Uh, with, with iChat from any generation of Mac that had iChat, basically. It was maybe not as far back as Jaguar, but it was it was a reasonably cross-version function. This is very, very version-specific. You must both have Yosemite. You must both be using iMessage. You must... It's it's a lot of caveats. But for FaceTime and sharing, that's that's going to be brilliant. For, for doing it over FaceTime and interacting with app data... It's going to yeah. be huge. You know, well, the, the, uh, the is, patent illustrations. Go ahead, Mikey. Yeah, no, the, 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 I think the important point um, of that patent is that not only can you, you know, share screen, but you can do that old bonjour um, trick of controlling the app data. Well, you know, I, I, we're not controlling, but at, at least um, collaborating with it a la Google Apps. One of the patent illustrations looks like it's got a parent uh, yeah. in, in the FaceTime controlling an ebook of Winnie the Pooh on yeah. a child's iPad. So the parent could be turning the pages or reading to the child as they sit together, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. And there's even there's some apps now, um, some drawing apps for kids and parents. Um, like if you travel a lot or something, you can both have the app open on your iPads and the parent can draw something on their app and it goes over to the other one, which is pretty cool features, but I think this will bring it to another level. Well, and if they've done it right, they're giving it to developers to use for free as opposed to each developer having to reinvent their own path for interactivity. Yeah, it would be uh, be huge if it was built in at the uh, system level. Yeah, which I hope so. I mean, they they could um, hypothetically... uh, Use something like um, an advanced form of share sheets, or um, their how they how they term it. Uh, if they built it in as a, a continuity feature, um, you know, then everyone can have their 
have their app play. All right. Have you guys ever used a Back to My Mac well? No. Like, has that ever worked? I always kind of wanted to. Yeah. I, I, I have it on on an iMac, and for some reason it just never works seamlessly. I don't know if it's more of my router issues, but I, I've used it with an Airport Extreme, but it still never What I ended up doing was uh, turning on screen sharing on the Mac and then forwarding the port at the router and just remotely screen sharing using um, – Apple Remote Desktop kind of stuff, VNC. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, was, I, I use apps like uh, iTeleport and Screen. There you go. Basically, yeah, to, that's that's to VNC. Control. It's the same thing. Yeah, but it'd be great if you could do it built in. Yeah, it would. Well, turning on screen sharing is sort of built in. But to be able to do it from an iPad, like uh, I use iTeleport the most, and uh, I could open iTeleport on my iPad and see all my computers listed, and you know, just tap one to access you, it. So you want Apple Remote Desktop for iOS? Yes. Yes. So anyway, if this is one step in that direction, I think that would be great. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, at MikeyCampbell81 on Twitter. Very good. And Victor, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on the tweets as at VMarks. Great. And you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Robles. Thanks for tuning in every week. And thank you for those who have rated and reviewed our podcast in the iTunes store. I would encourage you, please go out and tell your friends to listen and rate and review us there. You guys consistently keep us uh, in the top ranking, so we really appreciate it, and we hope that you enjoy the show. So again, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.